This is a termite mound. Well, it was a termite mound. So Craig's team cut some of these branches out so not all of these areas are to fill with grass. There are some more open areas. And the termite mound, the termites have built a little mound on this rotting piece of wood. And the pangolin has found it and eaten all of the termites out of it. So this is a reason why we know, one of the reasons why we know the pangolin's in this area. My name is Craig Schulte Douglas. I'm the reserve ecologist here at Pinda Private Game Reserve um, in KwaZulu Natal. And uh, today we're going to be following this little pangolin. Um, she's a really special little female who who's been with us for about eight months now. Um, and yeah, she she unfortunately was was poached um, and and entered into the illegal wildlife trade. Um, you know, almost a year ago. Um, and thankfully for her, she was recovered in a sting operation um, in a partnership with the South African Police Service and the African Pangolin Working Group, um, where she was kind of given her first step towards a second wildlife. And um, yeah, so, so she's been very fortunate. Um, she, she, once she had been recovered from the trade, she spent a lot of time in the Johannesburg Wildlife Veterinary Hospital where they, they rehabilitated her. Um, and, and, and spend some really good time with intensive care just to get her strong enough to, to be brought back into the wild. And then since then, uh, yeah, as I said, about eight months ago she arrived here um, as a very small young female pangolin and uh, yeah, she's, she's really established herself well, she's got a little territory and she's picked up almost three kilograms. So all signs are looking good that she, she's going to make it and, and her second chance is going to be successful. That's so great. This is the first penguin I've ever seen, so this is really special. But can you tell us a few reasons why these penguins are so endangered? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think globally there's, a, there's been a lot of poaching pressure on penguins for a number of reasons. There's a, there's a big uh, market, a legal market in, in Eastern Asia and um, in particularly China and Vietnam and where the, the scales as well as the meat are, are used in a number of different um, foods, uh, medications. Um, I think there's something like 87 different registered medicines over the counter that, that contain pangolin scales, which up until fairly recently were completely unregulated. Um, within sort of uh, local cultures, there have also been other beliefs, um, uh, cultural beliefs, um, you know, that are, are correlated to pangolins. And so we, we've, and also, you know, fencing and game fences and, and the, the, the mass, the, the more, more and more people in, in the world are kind of enclosing a lot of these natural areas. So in other words, fragmentation, habitat destruction. So, so there have been a hell of a lot of <laughs> issues thrown in the pangolins' uh, direction. Um, and, and, and particularly, most recently, has been the, 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 the legal trade, the poaching for, for medicinal and, uh, and consumptive uses in Asia. Yes, it's really important to know that these penguin scales are just the same material as our fingernails, keratin. So it's crazy that people want them when you can just... Yeah, exactly the same as our fingernails, exactly the same as rhino horn, it's, it's just keratin. Um, so, so a lot of these beliefs are, are very deeply embedded in, in years and years of culture. 
Um, but you know, I think through projects like this and the work that you're doing and the awareness that we're creating, I think as long as we can educate people that, that there is no medicinal properties in, in the, the consumptive use of pangolin, then at least we give them a bit of a fighting chance. I mean, we're in a beautiful area here in Pinda. How do you decide, once you've got a pangolin that has been rehabilitated, where exactly to release it? Yeah, so each, each one of them vary. We, we don't always find out where they've been poached from. Um, a lot of the time, the suspects, when, when they recover the pangolins, don't give out any information. And so, so we don't know what they naturally would have fed on before they were poached. And so we're very fortunate here at Pinda that, that as you've seen, it's a really, really diverse property. We have a lot of different soil types, a lot of different vegetation types, and hence, so we have a lot of different ants and termite species. And so we've managed to kind of map which kind of ants and termites occur in which parts of the reserve. And, and we'll kind of just uh, try out each pangolin in different areas until we find an area that's got the suitable prey for them and the right ant species that they want to feed on, as well as enough burrows uh, for shelter. And so, yeah, we've, we've worked on a bit of a trial and error basis, but uh, the more and more this project goes on, the more and more we kind of learn and understand and, and kind of know which areas are suitable and which ones aren't. And how do you monitor them and see how they're faring in the area that you've kind of trialed them in? Yeah, so we'll, hopefully when she moves out of this little thicket, um, we'll be able to have a look at the tracking devices. She's got two tracking devices. Um, one's got a, it's called a satellite tag. It's basically got a connection through, through a satellite network. And so we can log in on our phones um, or on our computers and, and have a look uh, where that animal's been, been fairly recently. And that data is also stored and used in a number of, of projects that we've got on the go, just trying to work, uh, understand more about these species. And then also they've got a VHF, a, a second tracking device, which is a telemetry, a radio frequency a VHF device. And that's what we use like we did today to actually locate the animal on the ground. Um, once we've done that, we, we look for, in terms of monitoring and making sure that they're still recovering, we're looking for, for signs of a healthy pangolin. That means bipedalism. They're walking on their back legs, tails nice and high in the air, and they're only using those front legs to dig. When they're, when they're sick, um, they often start dragging their tail a little bit, and they have to also use their front legs to help them walk, just because they don't have the right energy, uh, enough energy. Um, so so that's, that's the only sort of visual way that we can monitor them. Um, but what else we do is, is we weigh them. Um, and that's the only way we can actually see whether they, they're feeding well and putting on weight or if there is a problem and, and potentially they're not getting enough uh, food resources. How many pangolins have you released? Um, we've released uh, 15 pangolins so far um, since uh, June 2019, so just over two years now. Um, the vast majority of them have done really well and made it. Um, a few of them have died of natural causes, which is, which is natural. Um, and we've had one, one birth, um, so, so, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, in the beginning it was a little bit chaotic. We didn't really know what we were doing. A lot of us have uh, worked in the industry for a long time, but have never even seen a pangolin up until when we started this project. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've had to learn, uh, learn a lot, um, but yeah, it's, I think we, we're almost at the stage where we've got a, a viable natural population um, coming from a time where there were no pangolins left in this part of, in this part of KwaZulu-Natal and they were poached to local extinction. And so we, we like to see this as a reversing that sort of ecological local extinction and, and giving them a chance back in this area. So 
What's the process like releasing them into the wild? So once they've been uh, recovered in the sting operations, um, they then have to go and be assessed at the Johannesburg Wildlife Veterinary Hospital. Um, that's where they take bloods and they look at how compromised the animals are. They try and work out how long they've been without food or water and what kind of conditions they've been kept in. And then that's where they weigh up the likelihood, the probability of the animal being able to survive and, and being recovered. she's in this defensive ball she's wrapping wrapping herself up because she's really soft underneath and by doing this any predator that tries to get in here won't succeed i'm hoping that she's going to just relax a little bit when she starts hearing our voice because she's normally quite a relaxed girl this whole process is so important because by weighing her is the only way we know how well she's doing visibly she's been feeding really well so she looks good She's very relaxed with me holding her and us being here. But the only way we can know for sure if she's doing well is if we, if we get a weight on her, okay? Cool. So we're just gonna put that on here. Yeah, we're gonna put that there. Ten point four five. Yeah, she's to give you an idea. She was just under seven kilograms um, when we first got her. So yeah, she's uh, she's put on over three kgs, which is really really awesome. But let's not let's not keep her in here for too long. Um, if you want to just help me take her out, just get your hands right around underneath her like that. Yeah. Put your arm underneath like this. There we go. There we go. And if you just want to hold her like that. And what we're going to do is going to take her to exactly where she was feeding because she has her own scent there and she's going to carry on uh, from there. <laughs> 